So Romans 12, 3. For by, gra- for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Verse 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So, Church, we've been going through the Apostles' Creed, and if you're not familiar with the Creed, um, it's the oldest one around. It's been around for two centuries, Um, and so it's had some time to come to surface. A lot of people will say, why do we look at a creed? Why do we need a a creed? Uh, Don't we just need the Bible? Well, every church in some ways has a creed. If you go and visit a church, you'll soon find out that they themselves have something they follow. They have a theology that they follow along with. Um, So, yeah, we've been going through the Apostles' Creed, and everybody kind of, if you read through the scriptures, it's a story, and and the creed does a really good job of telling us what we believe. So we've gone through the Father as creator, um, and what we've seen there is that he is creator of everything. We've gone through Jesus the Son in every way, that he uh, was conceived and born, that he lived um, and suffered and died um, on a cross. We see his resurrection, that he raised up. He didn't stay dead. We see his ascension. Um, And then last week, Fletcher did a really good job uh, talking through the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit. But really what the creed does, and this is what I sort of want to talk about, at least for introductory sake, is the creed casts a vision. The creed casts a vision for how we ought to live our lives. We believe, we hold to these claims because they affect the the ways in which we make decisions in life. They affect our vision for how we view life. So the creed is a tool to help us, um, to help our vision with life. And among, uh, among all the competing visions for this good life, uh, there is assumptions made. Um, there's competing visions. This creed's not the only vision out there. There's a lot of visions for what it means to have a good life. There's a lot of visions for what it looks like to have a good life. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about this vision in particular, the competing vision, because not, not, I'm going to put a rock in your shoe. I'm going to prick you a little bit, because uh, as I was reading this vision, it was pricking me. 
it was, uh, I was feeling the weight of, of this vision, this faulty, false vision that I so find myself being ingrained into. I see myself being um, webbed into this false vision of what the good life is, as opposed to what the creed teaches. Merslav Wolf, in his book, Flourishing, um, writes this as the assumption beneath the vision of the good life. This is the assumption beneath the vision of the good life. And here it is, that nothing is more important in life than healthy, energetic, young and beautiful bodies at whose disposal are abundant varieties of food, clothing, gadgets, and games. I'll say it again, that nothing is more important in life than healthy, energetic, young and beautiful bodies at whose disposal are abundance of varieties of food, clothing, uh, that nothing is more important in life than healthy and energetic, young and beautiful bodies at whose disposal are abundant of varieties of food, clothing, gadgets, and games. I said it three times because every time I read it, I was like, wow, that's like kind of what I'm after. Like, I'm after those things. Like, that's kind of what I live for. In a, a lot of ways, I find myself falling into that vision for what the good life is. We are after those things. I mean, look at those words. Healthy, energetic, young, beautiful, at whose disposal are varieties of foods, varieties of gadgets, varieties of games. I want those things for my life, and I'll do anything to have them. Uh, that's not the vision that the creed uh, is presenting to us. Um, this vision, actually, Timothy, Paul, in writing to Timothy, talks about, and I'll read that for us, too, um, not to drive the knife in further, but as I was uh, contemplating on this, this is the verse, the passage that came to mind, Second Tim uh, Second Timothy chapter 3, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And you'd think, you know, I, I cast that vision um, that the Merceau Wolf so well puts it here. That, and then you read this and you're like, wow, I probably shouldn't be living that way. I shouldn't be living for the sake of myself, the lovers of self, the lovers of ple the love of pleasure. I shouldn't be living my life in that way. But this morning, I want to put that vision into question. I want to question that vision. The vision that there's nothing more important than a healthy, beautiful body that's at whose disposal is abundant of a variety of food and clothing. I want to put that to question. And I want to bring in a different vision that the Scripture talks about in Romans 12. Church, this morning, my aim is to persuade and to encourage you to believe, to believe, to believe that there is nothing better in life 
There is nothing more fulfilling in life. There is nothing more satisfying in life than to participate in the church, than to participate in the universal church and its gathered community. There is nothing. This is a big claim. And what I'm saying is a big deal because I'm claiming that, that that vision there is wrong. This vision that I'm talking about here is right. I'm saying that's wrong. This is right. There is nothing better in life. There's nothing more fulfilling in life. There is nothing more satisfying in life than church fellowship, than church community, than life with you guys. There's nothing better, nothing more fulfilling, more satisfying than life with you guys. And you're thinking, well, I'm going to... I don't see that. I, I find it more satisfying to go and chase after other things, to go and chase after other goods, to seek a higher life in different ways. I'd put that to question and say, I, I would disagree. This is the best life now in church. Church community, church fellowship is where it is found. Christ died for it. The church is Christ's bride. The church matters. It's a better vision. It's a better life. Dive in. It's better. It is. You're like, you haven't persuaded me. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't even talked about it yet. But that's sort of what I'm after today. In Dietrich Bonhoeffer's wonderful book, Life Together, he writes, the physical, the physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy. And it is strength to the believer how inexhaustible are the riches that open up for those who by God's will are privileged to live in the daily fellowship of life with other Christians. It is a privilege. And I want us this morning to take a hold of what we have, even if it's little. I want us to take a hold of what we have. It is a privilege. There's nothing better. The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy, church. And I simply want us to take a hold of what we have as we move toward him, as we move to, uh, towards each other in radical love. So let's talk about this one line we're looking at today in the creed, which is, I believe in the, the, the uh, Catholic, in the holy Catholic church, and I believe in the communion of saints. Um, I'm going to be weighing heavy on the communion of saints part uh, because I believe, as Nacho Libre says in his movie so well, that the communion of saints, at least in Romans 12, is sort of the nitty-gritty of what we're getting into. Um, I'll touch on this idea of uh, one, a holy Catholic church, but we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of communion uh, with the saints, which I just sort of talked about in my introduction there. But so one universal church body, and I say the word universal not to confuse you, it's not complicated. The word Catholic simply means universal. We believe that the, that the church is one, um, one gathered body everywhere. Paul makes it clear. It's one church. That's because the church, there is one Lord, right? There's one church because there's one Lord. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4 says this. There is one body. There's one spirit. And get ready because Ephesians coming. We're going to preach through the book of Ephesians. Can't wait. It's going to be great. Uh, just as you were called to the one hope 
that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Uh, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to notice that there's a lot of unity going on here. This is oneness. So the church is universal, or you could say Catholic, but the church is universal in that uh, the church includes every kind of person. It includes the rich. It includes the poor. It includes male. It includes female. It includes Jew. It includes Gentile. It includes slave. It includes free. Galatians chapter 5. Uh, ben Myers, in his little book on the creed, if you want to get a better, or better grip on the creed, I recommend you pick it up the, on the Apostles' Creed, Ben Myers' little book. He puts it this way, the boundaries of the church are as wide as the human race. The boundaries of the church are as wide as the human race. That is what we say when we, when we, when we uh, say this creed together, that we believe in the holy Catholic church. That is what we are affirming. But if we look at our, our text today in, in um, Romans 12, he, he mentions that, verse 4, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Uh, starting in verse 6, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And then he goes and talks through the differing gifts. Um, so we are one church, but we are one church with many different kinds of people. I don't know if you've noticed that, but there are certain things that I can bring that um, you may not be able to. There are certain things that you can bring that I might not be able to. It's like walking around, it's like if I were to walk around with one foot. If, if I could have two feet, I'd get around a lot easier. If I, uh, if, I had, if I only had one eye, I would see less. But if I had two eyes, I need the body, I need the parts. We're, we're one church, but we're of many different members. We have different parts, moving parts. And without the part, the church can't be the same. So we need each other, right? We all have different gifts. Uh, Paul doesn't talk through all of the gifts. He just simply touches on a few. But before I touch on the gifts, notice uh, in verse 6 that these gifts differ according to grace. Gifts that differ according to the grace to us. So these gifts are gifts of grace. It's not something you work up in yourself. It's not something you just have. These gifts have been given by God in grace. So I'll touch on these. The first is prophecy, which is to speak a word from God's revealed word for the sake of the body. And this would happen more sporadically. That's a gift of prophecy. The second gift we see is service, is to self-sacrificially serve others for the sake of the body. Another gift we see he talk about is teaching, which is effectively communicating the studied word of God for the sake of the body. Another gift we see in the text is exhortation, which is to stir one's heart to action, to worship Jesus for the sake of the body. Another gift we see is giving, uh, to sacrificially give of oneself in every way possible 
for the sake of the body. Another gift we see is leading those called to faithfully lead people with strong faith for the sake of the body. Another gift we see is mercy. Those called to faithfully serve the weak, the ill, the sufferer for the sake of the body. For the sake of the body. For the sake of the body. So we are to use our gifts not for ourselves, like we saw um, in that first vision that's false, but we are to use our gifts for the sake of the body, for one another. And as we see the church use our gifts for each other, we see the church glorify God. Glorify, we glorify God with our gifts when we do it for the sake of the body. I'm not sure if we have any people who have studied or looked closely at the Enneagram. Um, it's an interesting tool. Um, Ian Cron's written a book called The Road Back to You, and I've recently picked it up and have started reading it. And in his second chapter there, Finding Your Type, I, I, do, I appreciate what he says. He's like, you know, there are a lot of tools there are a lot of, or there are a lot of self-discovery um, models, and they're all wrong. But some of them are helpful, and I find the Enneagram to be a helpful tool uh, to learning more about who you are. But Ian Cron in his book, "Wrote Back to You," he says this: Your Enneagram number is not like a note from your mother that you can hand the universe whenever you behave badly that says, "To whom it may concern." You must excuse my son, John. He's a nine <laughs> and is therefore incapable of acting any better than what you've witnessed him to date. And church, it's the same with these gifts. Just because you don't have the gift of mercy doesn't mean you can't be merciful. We're all called to be merciful. Just because you may not have the gift of giving doesn't mean you, you don't give. You still give. Just because you don't have the gift of painting a wall which I have not that gift, okay? Don't ask me to come over and look at your car. Don't ask me to come over and fix anything. I, I cannot fix anything. I don't have that gift. <laughs> but I should try. I should try. And Fletcher's laughing because he knows it's so true. <laughs> Actually, a funny thing. We had this, uh, when you, when we, during, during um pandemic, we had this, this screen and uh, Michael and Fletcher texted me and said, are you coming over to build this thing? And I'm like, yeah. And I get there, and Michael's very, like, very helpful, and I would say gifted, and uh, bearing with me, being like, this is where this piece of wood goes, and this is why that piece of wood goes there. And then he's like, I'm going to do something fancy and make a, a hole different. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, what's happening here? I don't even know what that's called. But putting together that screen was like eating gravel for me. It's just hard for me, just because I'm not built like very well in that way. Um, but that doesn't mean that I, I should still show up and I should still try. I should still pu push into those gifts. And, you know, just because you might not have the gift of teaching or leading, you know, we should be at least we can still be trying to do that. We shouldn't walk around and with our mother's note and say, you know, I'm gifted and only this, so I can't help you there. Sorry. That's not how that works. Paul moves on there uh, from talking about gifts uh, to talking about the main thrust of the passage, which is um, fellowshipping with one another, um, which is the uh, 
the communion of saints type piece that I want to touch on the hardest. So let's look at, if you have your Bible seriously, let's uh, open Romans 12, and let's look at verses 9 through 13, and we're going to look at this uh, more in depth. Starting in verse 9, Paul writes this, let your love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. And do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. There's nothing better in life. There's nothing more fulfilling in life. There's nothing more satisfying in life than being a part of church and being a part of its community. There's nothing better in life. There's nothing more fulfilling in life. There's nothing more satisfying in life than being a part of a church and its community. It's not without reason that Paul demands that love be genuine. If you look at verse 9, let your love be genuine. And I'll just say this, the world and all of its communities, the world and all of its organizations, the world and all of its ways, even at, the, even at the farmer's markets, if you go to those. Those are awesome, by the way. I love farmer's markets. Nothing against farmer's markets. I love those. You do. You feel very a part of the community when you go to the farmer's. Don't you? You feel part of the community to go to the farmer's market. I'm going to go and pick up some tomatoes and some cucumbers, and I'm going to feel very, very cool in doing that. I'm going to feel part of the community. Okay, the world and all of its community and all of its clubs. What are you? Go to a softball club? Go to a bowling club? You know, Michael told me my shirt looks like I'm a bowler. Do I look like a bowler to you? <laughs> Come on, man. I'm not bowling. I'm at church. <laughs> what kind of clubs are you part of? I don't know. Memberships, gatherings. They could never produce this kind of love, Okay. They can't produce this kind of love. People in those settings may be able to exercise a certain kind of niceness, a certain kind of kindness, but the love we experience at church is genuine. The love we experience here at church is real. It's genuine. It's better than your parties. It's better than your clubs. It's better than your organization. It's better than your com community or neighborhood. It's better. It's better. Why is it better? Because we have the gospel. We have the gospel. The gospel's better. Our mission here at uh, City on Hill Somerville is to help both religious and irreligious people become gospel people. Because the gospel is different. The gospel is different. Because there is no love. Let your love be genuine. How can you love people if you don't have the gospel? How can your love be genuine? That's a good question. How can your love be real? But you're like, well, what is the gospel? How, how do we see love in the gospel. Well, Paul says it earlier in his book to the Romans, right? Romans 8.32, my favorite passage in all of Scripture. Because this is love. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, for the church, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? How will he not also with him graciously give us all things. Church, we love because we've been loved. We love because we've been loved. 
And it's not without reason that Paul demands that our love be genuine because we've genuinely, we've authentically been loved in Christ more so than any other club or something out there. I'm, the church is better. Our, um, ours is a love of, of, he says here, actually, if you look in verse 10, he says, let your love be genuine, but look at verse 10. He says, love again. It's like love matters or something. But he says, love one another with brotherly affection. Ours is a love of brotherly affection or sisterly affection. My bad. Brotherly affection, sisterly affection, church affection. We have been so affected by the love of Christ that we cannot help but love one another in this way. We have been so affected. We have been so affected by the love of Christ that we cannot help but love each other in this way. The love of Christ controls me. The, the love of Christ controls us. It controls the church. It controls our love for one another. I'm going to use this book again because it's a great book. It's called Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I recommend you pick it up. He's dead, but it's a good book. It's a great book. So you actually, actually, uh, Jonathan uh, help, helpfully reminded me that all, all the books that date to a certain day back, you can get those for free. And I was like, wow, really? Awesome. You might be able to get it for free. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes this in his book, Life Together. And this is reference to brotherly affection, okay? Listen to this. This is important. This is what I see in church. This is what I see. This is the potential that I see with church. The Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him in love. Right? He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. Where can you find that in the world? When he becomes uncertain and discouraged for by himself he cannot help himself without belying the truth. He needs his brother as a bearer <laughs> and a proclaimer of the divine word. He needs his brother solely because of Jesus Christ. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ and the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain, but his brother his brother's heart is sure. My bad if I lean on you too hard as a brother. But if you're in our church and I'm uncertain and I'm, and I'm in, in a bad spot and you're, you're my brother or sister in Christ, I will lean on you. I need you. I seriously need the church. I need the people in the church. I, I can't live without church. I can't live without the people in the church. I get low, I'll be lonely, I'll be lost, I'll be isolated. You're like, well, you should just turn on Netflix. That does not help me as a Christian. All that does is numb out the pain. That's not a solution. Well, then you should go join a, a, a softball club. They don't preach the God, they don't have the gospel. Well, then you should go do this or that. I need the church. I need the church body. I need my community group. Do you know how encouraging my community group has been to my heart? Do you know how encouraging it's been for me to move here across the country alone? Do you know how encouraging, though, it has been for our family to get to know some of your families? It's been life in its fullest 
during the darkest time. I mean, it's been dark. It's been a dark time. But to get to know some of you guys, to get to know some of your families, I'm telling you, that's the church at work. And sometimes all we feel like we give is, is a heavy, is a heaviness. And sometimes all you can give is a, a way to lift that up off of us. And there'll be times where I'll be in a really good spot and I'll be able to be that for you. And there'll be times where maybe you're in a better spot and, and, I, and maybe you can be that for me. But the point is, church, we need each other. All right, we need each other. We need, as the scriptures say, to bear with one another in love. And the weight is heavy. And you're like, don't put that weight on me. I, I don't expect that from me. That's like, don't ex I'm not expecting that from you. I'm expecting that from the people of God's church. That's just what we do. That's what the scripture commands us to do. We've been saved by grace. We've been brought into his family, and now we act like family. We need um, one another to bear with one another in love. The weight is heavy. But it is not that heavy. It's not that heavy when you think of what he carried on the cross. Love in this way is gospel love. And it needs to be the heart of our church life together. All of these other pieces flow from an understanding of the love Christ has shown. All of these other pieces in Romans 12, I'll go through them um, fairly quickly. But we do see love. We do see love. And I, I don't want you to miss that piece about love and where love flows from. And, and, and how we are able to love one another in these ways is because we have seen the love of Christ. But if we look here, it says Ab abhor evil. A church overflowing with love for good will hate what is evil. A church overflowing with love for what is good will hate evil. And then Paul says, hold fast. Hold fast to what is good. Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. And then he says, do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent, fervent in spirit. Believers are to burn and seethe in their spirits, but the means by which this is done is by the Holy Spirit. Quote Thomas Schreiner. It's a very good quote. I read something too where sloth is the opposite of fervency. I thought that was interesting. Because um, according to my Enneagram, at least with the nine, <laughs> uh, my the deadly sin is slothfulness, to be a sloth. And it might not, might, might not be in the same way you'd think of a sloth, but to be fervent in spirit is the op opposite of being slothful in zeal. And then catch this, Paul says rejoice in hope. Joy and hope must live together. Joy cannot exist without hope. And our hope is sure. If you were to read Hebrews 10, you could, you could see in there, we have an anchor. We have an anchor that is Jesus Christ, and he is our hope, and our hope is sure. I was riding my bike over here this morning because I couldn't find my van keys, um, because that happens in my life a lot, because I'm a nine. See, I just used it as an excuse. <laughs> I'm a nine, so I can't find my van keys. <laughs> uh, but we don't live far, so it's not a big deal. But as I was riding my bike here, 
I came to realize that going downhill is a lot easier than going uphill. And you're like, yeah, that's how that works. But Levi, you know, he's honestly kind of just figuring that out. Because I was biking with my son, my seven-year-old Levi, and he's like, man, I cannot make it up this hill. I can't make it up this hill. It's too big of a hill. I said, it's a big hill. We could walk, okay? And so we walked our bike up the hill. But I said to him, too, I was thinking about this, this rejoice and hope thing. I was thinking, you know, if you think through the joy, because there's a lot of joy in riding downhill. If you think through the joys of riding downhill, you can actually persevere going uphill because you have that hope. Yeah, that hope is bringing you joy. So those two have to come together. And of course, we have a hope that's much greater than a joy ride down a hill. We have a hope that's anchored in Christ Jesus alone in a gospel. So if you just caught that advice, you're like, well, next time I'm biking, I'll try to think of that now. Well, think about, think about the gospel and how it's our hope, okay, in church. Um, we are to be constant in prayer. Constant. Constant in prayer. Church, we got to pray. We got to pray together. We got to pray all the time. I can't love anybody. We can't love each other if we don't pray. Because it comes from, I, I, we need to be people that pray together. Because what prayer says is, I'm weak, I'm insufficient, I can't do this on my own. Oh, yeah, I should talk to God about that. Have Him help me. Have Him do these things through me. We need to be praying. Be constant in prayer. Patient in tribulation. Patient in tribulation? You're not going to find that at the workplace. Contribute to the needs of the body. Show hospitality. Have an open door for people. We have to be people that open up our lives to other people. And it might be inconvenient. There might be laundry on the floor. We had our neighbor over yesterday, and there was, trust me, it wasn't like the best, prettiest thing you've ever seen. It's like, you know, we got train tracks over here. We got... We got laundry over here. We got food over there. We got dishes over there. And then I'm like, hey, you guys want to help me clean? You can help me clean. Why, why are we so afraid? Why are we so protective of our space? I mean, let's just let people in and, tell, and share the good news with them. That's, that's what the church does. We just show hospitality. But, you know, Paul would actually say in the scripture, he would actually say, um, especially show, show this to people who are of the faith. Uh, hospitality to those who are in the church body. But we need to be people of hospitality. All right, well, I'll stop talking. Here's a conclusion that I have written out, though, uh, for us. And I hope I was in some ways able to persuade you that it's a better life, a more fulfilling life, a more satisfying life in church than anywhere else. Church life is the best. But do you desire our church to be like this? What do you desire for our church? You know, if you go out to eat, there's a lot of things you're waiting for. You're getting hungry. You're, there's a lot of things you're anticipating, especially if it's a juicy steak. I love juicy steak. I love really good food. But you're anticipating. You're, you're starting to think about the food. You're starting to thirst for it. You're starting to hunger for it. And once it gets there, you're thinking, this is is 
why I came. This is why I came. I didn't come for the salad. I don't care who you are. <laughs> like, nobody says, uh, this is why I came for these greens over here. Unless you're weird like me, actually, kind of, honestly. But, <laughs> uh, but church, this is the main meal. Please don't treat church like it's a side salad. Like, this is, this is the thing. This is the thing of the thing. Everything else you can treat like side salads, but church you cannot treat like a side salad. Do you desire a church like this? Do you believe the church can be this for you, this vision of love and kindness and hope? What is it that is putting church life on hold? What is it that is putting church life on hold? And there, there's probably some very legitimate reasons for that, and I don't want to undermine legitimate reasons for that. Uh, but I would say, as soon as possible, let's make church life happen. Let's love one another like this. Let's be okay with not being okay. Let's, let's weep with those who weep. Or let's mourn with those who mourn. Let's laugh with those who laugh. Let's carry each other's burdens. We can do that together as a church because Christ has died for us and he's made that available. He's died for the church and he loves our, the church. So what is it that's putting, what is it that's putting church life on hold? Church, we are to fight against the illusion of better fellowship, better community outside of church and cling closely to the reality that there is no better fellowship, better community apart from Christ and his church. So I hope those questions are helpful to you in thinking through that. Uh, let's pray together. Lord, I am so thankful for these people. I am thankful for your church. In fact, I, th I would say, God, I'm just overwhelmed with your grace and your mercy for even me and my family as I have been so encouraged and blessed by these people. I have seen these things happen in real life because of your grace. And I know you have these things in mind for us as your people, all different. You have these same things in mind for all of us. Help us, God to be the church give us these give us these gifts give us these desires to be the church to be there for one another to seek your face through the ordinary means of grace through your word preached through the table through baptism to seek your face in the fellowship we have with you. Because as we love you, we cannot help but love each other. As we worship you, we cannot help but be encouraged by the worship of other people. God, I desire this for our church more than anything else. I desire this kind of love, this kind of zeal, this kind of spirit around church. And I pray you would just do that here in Somerville for your glory. That you would unite us in one spirit. 
thirsting and hungering for you and you alone because you alone give life you alone you alone give us what we need as a church we are so dependent upon you we're depending upon you god in your name amen